Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Good morning. Sam got me right in the middle of a drink of water. I'm sorry. I was right there. That's uh, good to see you this morning. It really is. It's so... uh, a privilege, really, to be able to get together like this. Uh, I leaned over last night after Annette sat down after you uh, viewed the introduction to their Bible study, and I said that would be a perfect introduction for me this week, because that's exactly the way I felt. I left the office, I think it was Tuesday afternoon, and I felt way in over my head. And I just told the Lord, Lord, I am so far over my head, I really don't know what to do. And the Lord responded like he does, brief, quick. He said, good. (laughs) Good. He says, I have you right where I want you, and I have my people right where I want them. What I realize about my life, and I've come to realize as time has gone on, is faith does not come natural to me. There are other things that do come natural to me, but that's not one of the things that I'm altogether gifted with is faith. Faith is not natural to me, and yet the Bible, I I know, says that faith is the very thing that pleases the heart of God. Faith is like the Beatitudes we've been studying. It's counterintuitive. I mean, you think about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, really, you know. Blessed are those that mourn. What is it saying there? Happy are those that are sad. Blessed are those that are meek when we live in a very self-confident world. Counterintuitive. It all is turned around. It's all a bit backwards. Faith is like that. It's counterintuitive. It's just something that doesn't come natural to me. Doubt comes natural. Worry is natural. Fear is natural. (laughs) Discouragement is natural. Anxiety is natural. Wondering if God's promises are true. That's natural. Questioning God's love and forgiveness. That's natural. But faith... Faith isn't natural. There's some boys in the Bible that I want to read about today that I think we're facing some of the same, same struggles that we face. It's found in the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can open there with me and put your finger right at verse 45. And as you do that, I want to make a distinction for you today. And it, it'll make sense as the message progresses. But it's important to do it now. And, and, and here's the distinction. There is a huge and even significant difference between amazement and faith. You see, you can be amazed by things that you don't actually put your faith in. It was about 15 years ago I decided it would be a good idea to take our family on a vacation where there was sunshine and water. And so we all went, and one morning we got up, and we were going to take this excursion, this, this great trip by ourselves. We wanted to find a, a quiet, isolated place along the beach, and, and we did. We came to this place. We all got out. We had a picnic lunch. We went down to the beach, and the beach is aptly named Big Beach. And I saw the sign before I saw the beach, and I wondered, why is it called Big Beach? Well, I went out there. And I realized the reason it's called Big Beach is because it has huge waves. It should be called Huge Beach. And, and so we were watching these waves break. And they were shore breakers. They weren't breaking out of waves. They were breaking right onto the sand. And those waves were probably about eight feet tall. They were just huge waves. My two boys were teenagers at the time. And they brought their skimboards. And they were looking at those waves. And they decided they wanted to, to, to do something. They wanted to have a little fun. And so they took those skimboards, and what they did is they stood there, and they waited for that wave to get about as high as it could get, and they skimboarded right out to that wave, and they shot themselves right up through the top of the wave as the wave was cresting. Of course, their mother was, you know, don't do that. And I said, this is amazing. Not only did they shoot themselves through the top of that wave, they were doing flips on the other side of it and landing in the water, and they were all excited. And You know, I'm a daredevil. I I like to do things like that, but not that. I I looked at that. The boys and the waves amazed me, but I would not put my faith in doing what they did. That's for sure. Well, we look at some boys here in Mark chapter 6, and it begins at verse 45. 
And, and this is what it says to us. It says, immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And then he saw them straining and rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he would have passed by them. And when they had saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them, and he said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then he went up into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. It's an interesting passage of Scripture because in the Gospel of Mark, he usually does not qualify his stories. He doesn't give any commentary. Luke gives commentary. Luke will explain things for you of why things happened. The feeding of the 5,000 had just taken place. Jesus was tired. He wanted to pray. So he went to get away and he sent the boys to the other side. And what Mark says here is they, they were struggling. They had a problem. And the problem was the hardening of their heart. It's interesting how Mark comes about this. When you look at this passage of scripture in this story, the disciples find themselves in a moment of difficulty. They're in a boat. They're facing impossible headwinds. They're facing angry seas. They're beyond their strength. They're way beyond their ability. They are in this situation that's futile, it's exhausting, and it is extremely dangerous. And you have to ask, how did they get into this situation? Who in the world made the decision to put them in that boat and tell them to go to the other side? Well, the answer is in verse 45. Jesus did. In fact, some of the commentaries, some of the places you read, it says where he made them get in the boat. It says he commanded them to get in the boat. This was a mess that Jesus made. This was a problem, a struggle that Jesus was responsible for. That he put them in this boat and he sent them out and the next thing they find themselves in a storm. You see, Jesus knows something about the boys in the boat. He knows how prideful they can be. He knows how full of themselves they can be. He knows how much their allegiance to their heart is more to their own self-oriented little kingdoms than it is to the kingdom of God. He knows those things about these boys. So here's the point. Jesus will take us where we haven't chosen to go in order to produce in us what we could not achieve on our own. I want to say that again. Jesus will take us where we haven't chosen to go in order to produce in us what we could not achieve on our own. Do you know what the Bible calls that? The Bible calls that grace. Grace. Now, I don't know how you think about grace, but certainly I have never thought about grace being like this. My idea of grace is warm and fuzzy and fluffy and sweet and nice. That's my idea of grace. When I think of grace, that's what I think about. But here, what do we see? It's an uncomfortable grace. Because very often the grace of God comes to us in uncomfortable ways. You may be saying to yourself, where, where, where in the world is the grace of God in my life? Where is it? Well, you're getting it. But you're getting uncomfortable grace because that's exactly the grace that you need. If you're going through difficulty, if you're going through an unexpected moment in your life that you would have never chosen for yourself, if you are going through trials and suffering and hardship, if that's you today, please don't label those difficulties as a sign of God's inattention or unfaithfulness in your life because you would be absolutely wrong. On the contrary. The difficulties that you're facing right now are a sure sign of God's profound, deep, and eternal love for you. 
But today, because of the difficulties, you can see his passion and his love. You are not being forgotten. You are not being forsaken. You're being loved. It's grace. It's grace. It's uncomfortable grace. And that's exactly what we need right now. Here's something very important to notice about this story. The minute Jesus takes the walk on the water, you know right then what he has in mind. And I want you to hear me on this. If all Jesus wanted to do was remove the difficulty, he wouldn't have taken the walk. He wouldn't have strolled out into the water. He wouldn't have done it. Because he could have just stayed on the seashore and he could have spoken these words, peace be still. And that storm would have went away. The waves would have stopped. The wind would have stopped. The guys in the boat would have rowed the rest of the way across the Sea of Galilee in smooth water. Jesus was not after the difficulty. He was after the boys in the middle of the difficulty. He wants to do something in their hearts. He wants to do something in their lives. He wants to do something in the lives of people who are in the middle of the difficulty. He was not after making life easy. He wasn't after making it comfortable in this moment. He's after transforming the guys who are in this moment. And that was anything but easy. It was anything but comfortable. Jesus is much more concerned about my transformation than he is about my comfort. He cares much more for your transformation than he cares about how comfortable you are, how comfortable I am right now. And this is what I've come to realize. I've come to realize that over these past several years, I've become extremely comfortable. And I liked it that way. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you that comfort had become an idol in my life. And when that happens, you stop growing, you stop transforming, and you absolutely get stuck. I had conformed to an all-too-common theology that exists, I'm thinking, in a lot of Christian circles today. And that is the theology of comfort. That God's main responsibility is to keep me comfortable. What a joke. Because I can say this with great clarity. God's priority is not my comfort. God's priority is to change me, to transform me. And I think for years, New Life was a prolific sending church. We planted churches. We sent pastors to churches who needed them. We've sent teams to churches. We're raising up disciples. We've gone to other places around the nation and other places around the world. We have done so many various ministries and outreaches to our neighbors But I know this, I've allowed the vision that God has given new life in myself to stagnate. I do believe this is no longer the case. Because over this past season, God has resurrected a passion. He's resurrected a calling in my life. And really a a love to impact those neighbors around me. Those neighbors that I spend time with here on the weekends and throughout the week, you, the neighbors I have where I reside, the neighbors where I go and meet with people, the neighbors in our communities, those are the neighbors that God has put in my life, and I love those neighbors. And I know God has worked that out in me. But I also know that Reality is reality. And what I'm presenting today, what I'm saying today, can be very uncomfortable. 
something I've never done before. So if you're our guest, I apologize. But I want to show you some trends that are uncomfortable. Some things that you need to know. That over the last several years, there's been these trends that we've had financially and in our attendance that have gone downward. And along with that, what we've had to deal with is 62% of our budget is being spent on personnel. Nationally, churches are about 48% of their budget. In my absence, our district supervisor came along and said, you guys need to get that down closer to 50% because what you're doing is not sustainable. What you're doing will not sustain because there is no margin for mission. Every business owner in this place understands margin for mission. You have to have it or you die. I wrote a letter to you last week and the letter stated something like this that I've come to a place now in this uncomfortable grace that I'm living in that I don't want to just polish the machine of church. That I don't want to just live in an aquarium and clean it out. What I would like to do is swim in the ocean where the fish are, but it is so scary. At that point, it really is about faith. It's not about being amazed. Because we can be amazed about a lot of things, but it never changes us. In fact, we probably live in a culture full of amazement. We're amazed that people are saved in Rwanda. We're amazed that people are transformed in Albania. We're amazed at all the different things that God does and all the miracles. But unless that amazement moves you to faith, it hasn't done you one bit of good. That's exactly what Mark is saying about these disciples. He's saying they saw Jesus feed 5,000 men, probably 10,000 people. And they just didn't get it. Their hearts were hardened. They were just amazed, but it didn't grow their faith. It didn't move them or propel them further in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I can't live that way anymore, and I know you can't live that way. That what you've been designed to do is you have been designed to live in uncomfortable grace where your faith grows. Because it is our faith that pleases God. It is not your amazement that pleases God. We are not called a community of amazement. We're called a community of faith. That's what we're called. And our God, my God, is tenaciously after that in my life. He's tenaciously after that in your life. We also recognize that we're out of balance in some areas. One is our staff to congregation. We have one staff member for every 45 people that attend church here. The national ratio is 1 in 86. That was astounding to me. Double. Almost double. It's been found that the, the higher the ratio of staff, there are fewer volunteers and even fewer in attendance. <laughs> Maybe there's a connection here. I have really appreciated, deeply appreciated the efforts that our council has made over these last eight or ten months. They have worked diligently. They have worked with great godly wisdom. Our council is responsible for the stewardship, the financial stewardship of this church, and they've done this incredible job. And I thought that it would be a, a good idea if you, you heard from one of them that has been on this journey. So I've asked uh, Doug to come and just share with us a few of the thoughts that he has and the things that he, he's observed about us all of us together over these last uh, several months, really several years. Yeah, thanks, Ron. This morning, uh, I guess in this service, just thinking about stepping up here, thinking about my own journey into this place 30-some years ago and walking in with having an uh, agenda to serve God under my terms. And I can remember coming in like this and watching people worship and then pretty soon like this and then pretty soon like this. And uh, 
surrendering and deciding that I wanted to follow God under his terms and follow his agenda. And uh, that's what we're doing. So this morning, I'm here to represent the church council. And uh, the church council isn't always out in front of us, in front of you. So I want to introduce our council to you. And some of them are here. Doug Eric, Dave Burnell. Burnett. Burnett. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Dave Peck, John Deller, Kirk Heath, Steve Gustafson. And those of you that are here, would you stand? There's Steve in the back. He's always standing. He's been standing there for 30-some years. So, <laughs> Dave. John Deller. So it's really a privilege to serve together. So I kind of want to share our response as a council and just a little background to first is that the, the, the history of the church, our numbers, our percentages have been high, even back in 2006 and actually rose to their highest percentage, 70% in, I think, 2010. And it's been a trend, uh, but, but not one that we were necessarily concerned about because it was the direction that we felt God was calling us. And uh, over the last six months, when Larry and Tim began to meet with us as a council um, and pointing out to us the the percentages and the numbers, it's easy to look at those. It was, uh, it was difficult for us to hear that. It was difficult for us to process that. One of the reasons is, is because our staff here, um, as I look around, I've actually tried to guess at a percentage in the different services, but I can't even really think of a person who hasn't come to the church, uh, served here, been a part of us, and then became a staff member. So in this place, our, our staff, they're, they're part of us. So to make that decision was extremely difficult. And uh, the end of November, we made a decision that that's what we needed to do. And uh, so we voted and made that decision at the end of November. We really didn't know who. We really didn't know how we would get it done. And uh, at that point, we were confident that that's what God had asked us to do. And uh, some of us were more confident than others that God would go before us and provide. But he has. And uh, the Lord really has provided and gone before us and brought us to this point in this day. So uh, let me let Ron tell you about where we're at. Okay. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. No, I don't want that. Would <laughs> you tell Doug, you, would you tell him you appreciate him? I... This council really does uh, an amazing amount of work behind the scenes. They meet a couple times a month. They pray together. They talk. They email. Uh, there's a, a great wealth of wisdom among them, and they've invested a lot of time. In fact, I, I think that Doug is down here more at the church than he is at his own business, and he owns and operates his own business. I called him, I think it was a week or two ago, and said, where are you? And he says, I'm in one of the offices at the church. I said, well, that's, that's interesting. I'm sitting on one of your pieces of heavy equipment right now. We just swapped spots for a little bit, you know? And, uh, and that's just, uh, that that's just tells you a little bit about the dedication at this level. We are part of a team. We're all on the team, including you. Um, When I say team, I really do mean our church body. Each member plays what I believe is a vital uh, part in answering the call God has placed upon us. You know, our staff, including myself, are here to equip the team to do the very things God has called us to do. Uh, We're committed to that. Uh, our staff is going through a needed reorganization, as Doug had mentioned, that the council and the team has gotten together. And we're doing this in order to build the appropriate margins for mission in our budget. We have to do this. We have to make these steps. 
So when our staff learned of this, when it was getting out, we were talking about it. Two of our longtime leaders, they, uh, they stepped up. And uh, they did on their own accord, and they expressed their willingness to be part of this reorganization process. Um, these are people that I deeply admire and I've worked with for years and years and years. The people that have stepped forward are Pastor Dave Kelly and Pastor Al Carpenter. They, they came forward and said, this is something that we, we need to do, that we need to engage in. And these are really men, along with their wives, who have served alongside of us and myself for many years. Dave and I have served together for 19 years. And I was, I was only eight, uh, you know. Um, and Al, 16 years, you know, 16 years. And uh, it's been an amazing journey. And what I would say about these individuals is they've been such a huge part of New Life's fruitfulness. Uh, they're great men that have served so well and so faithfully over several years. It's almost unheard of today. You see, I, you just don't hear what I'm telling you right now. That you have people serving how long? You know, 16, 19 years. Um, that's the blessing. The hard part is there are times we do say goodbye. And uh, that becomes the difficult part. And so what I want to do right now is I, I, I want us to continue to honor them. I've asked them if they would just even share their own story because you need to hear it. They're great people. And so I've asked them, um, first of all, Dave and, and Dorothy, if you would come up. And as I've said in the other services, I kind of get a kick out of this. I had Dave go first because I know how much he loves to public speak. And uh, that's a joke. And, uh, and so, Dave and, and Dorothy, I, I want you guys to share. Thanks, Ron. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm a kind of behind-the-scenes guy, so um, very rarely do get up here. But uh, I did want to come and speak to you today. I'm a numbers guy, so I kind of I like to have things written down. And, and uh, I'll start from the beginning. So our first Sunday at New Life was June 1994. Uh, we became involved in ministry right away. I think the first thing we did was the taco feed. And um, surprisingly enough, the next year we were somehow put in charge of doing the taco feed. So <laughs> it, was a, it was a good thing. So it really helped us get to know people and, and get involved. In April of 95, Dorothy asked me uh, what I would like to do if I could work anywhere. And I said, I'd like to be the business manager at New Life. Well, we both kind of laughed because there really wasn't a position like that at New Life. So then in June, uh, I was surprised when Pastor Ron called me and asked if I would consider uh, filling the newly formed office position. And I think he was as surprised as, as I was when I told him that I had been praying about it for three months. It was a great job because it involved service to God, involved working with people and crunching numbers. Over the last 19 years, the position evolved into first becoming a pastor on staff and then business manager, business pastor, and now executive pastor. Besides the finances, one facet of my responsibilities included hiring and overseeing non-pastoral staff. I am deeply appreciative mm -hmm. of the depth and the quality of the New Life staff and their service and dedication to this church family. My responsibilities have also uh, involved a variety of outside the office events, officiating an occasional wedding or funeral, overseeing missions, etc. The situation that I think was the funniest was in 1996 during the flood, I took a night shift operating the generator for the pump that helped us uh, take care of what we called Lake New Life or the North Park, flooding of the North parking lot. I've loved my job and enjoyed the challenges. However, the increased stress of the last few years has taken a toll on me physically. I would not be wise to, uh, to ignore the health issues as my body's not doing well with the everyday stress now. At this time, we believe that God is moving us to a position with less weight of responsibility Dorothy and I have followed the Lord's leading 
in the past and have had the privilege of living in three countries, serving God with Wycliffe Bible Translators, and have been involved in full-time ministry now for 32 years. The Lord hasn't shown us where we will serve next, but we know he's in this change and walking with us. My last day in the office will be February 28th. Uh, Dorothy and I cherish the friendships that we've made while serving here at New Life. This body of believers is an exceptional body and not your average church. A friend recently reminded us to cherish one another and not take each other for granted. We love you. Thank you. Nineteen years goes by really, really fast, and uh, it's been a privilege to work alongside Dave and Dorothy, and I know it has been for many of us. What I'd like to do is just extend our hands forward, and we're just going to pray a blessing uh, over their lives in this season of their life. Father, I'm so grateful that I've had the privilege of walking alongside this couple and serving, and that it is true we've gone through thick and thin together. There's so many things that have been done. A lot has been accomplished, and we thank you for that. We know that you're continuing to bless. We know that days ahead of us are fruitful as well. As we've said here today, we understand your will and your direction in our life. And Lord, we just pray that covering and that anointing over Dave and Dorothy, that you would keep them and that you would bless them in all their ways. Lord, I thank you for this righteous couple. I thank you for what you're going to continue to do in their lives. They have been a gift to us. They've been a blessing to us. Thank you for the fellowship that we've been given in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let them know you appreciate them again, would you? Uh, I love you, Dorothy. Breathe. You're done. Breathe. Good job. Good job. Thank you, Dave and Dorothy. They've uh, been a great encouragement, and I have deeply appreciated the 19 years that we've been able to spend together. I'll miss them. Um, also want to invite uh, Pastor Al and Kathy to come forward and share with us. W- would you uh, let them know you appreciate them? Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here. Um, it was interesting looking at those uh, that chart, the statistics up there about 2006, because uh, just a little over a week ago, Kathy and I were having our morning devotions together, and as we were reading through the first chapter of Ephesians, uh, we got to the end of the chapter and noticed that there was a, a note written in the margin of her Bible. And in December of 2006, she wrote... Lord, help us to be ready for the next step. So, seven years ago, we knew that new life would not be the final destination in our ministry story. There was a chapter that was happening here. It wasn't a matter if we would leave one day. It was only a matter of when. And we, of course, had no idea when that would be or that seven years would have elapsed from that time. So uh, we've just always been in that uh, kind of attitude, I suppose, that we just always wanted to be ready to move whenever the Spirit of the Lord called us to move. And uh, so uh, last year when uh, Larry Spousta, our district supervisor, shared with leaders uh, early December that uh, it was necessary to lay staff off, and in that, in that announcement, he actually used the phrase that it was uh, that there would be senior staff that would, would be leaving. And, of course, at that moment, we, we just had that sense that, okay, Lord, thank you. Uh, you just let us know the when. And so uh, about a week went by or so, and, uh, 
we let Pastor Ron and, and others on staff know that um, we really felt like it, uh, it was our time to uh, put our names forward to be those who would be laid off and leave New Life. I, I do want to say this. We are not leaving New Life. We are being led out. So, um, something that uh, the Lord ministered, I haven't shared this in the other services, but I think it's important. Um, when, when we, most of you don't know this, but we first attended New Life in 1981. And we were here for exactly one year. At that time, the church was about 100 people. We met in Ackerman Junior High. And it was while we were attending there that the Lord spoke to us very clearly um, that we were being called into ministry, particularly uh, the mission field, and that field was Alaska. Uh, so our roots and our, our history go a long way back, 32 years in this church family, this, this congregation. And about that time, it was a very difficult thing for us to pack up our two daughters. They were six and three at the time, put all of our earthly belongings in a pickup truck, drive over 2,000 miles to the end of the road in Alaska. It was difficult because we didn't have any real support from our family. They thought we were absolutely crazy to be doing such a thing, taking grandchildren that far away and especially since I had no employment. We, had, we didn't even know where we were going, didn't have a job when we got there. We just about had enough money to get there and live for two months. So they really thought we'd lost it altogether. <laughs> and, uh, and yet the Lord ministered to us through a passage of Scripture that Jesus said that no one who has left family, lands or friends, uh, will essentially be without family. Mm. Those who choose to do so will have many more family members, brothers, sisters, fathers, and mothers in this life and with persecutions. <laughs> he added that. And so what I need to do in saying all of this, I need to let you know that um, even though we have a natural family that lives in the Seattle area, you are our family. Mm-hmm. In this church body, we have uh, spiritual fathers and mothers. We have spiritual brothers and sisters, and we truly feel a kinship, a kindred spirit with many here. And it's not something that we do. It's something the Holy Spirit does. We have spiritual children and even some spiritual grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And so we're enriched and blessed because of the relationships and the fellowship we have here. So this has, been, this has not been a job for us. This has been a calling. It's been a commitment to family, to you as, as members of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question people always ask is, well, what are you going to do next? And my answer is we have no clue. <laughs> uh, and, and I do need to explain that because in light of Ron's message here today, I think it's important for you to understand that answer. Um, Like I said, when we left for Alaska, we had no idea what we were even heading towards. We just drove until there was no more road and said, Lord, here we are. What are we going to do? And so in the next three years, we moved 16 times and we're in many native villages. We were in and out of (laughs) all kinds of strange places. And um, so at the end of that 15 years in Alaska, we knew that chapter of our life story was ending. It was very clear. And in January, I I left the church parking lot and I just turned to Kathy and I said, the Lord just ministered to me, we're done. Three months later, we gave notice to the mission we belong to and said, you know, our our season here is over. And um, you need to understand that we lived on the college campus. That was our housing. Um, So... When, when that was done, we were off campus in August of that same year. So we had no house, we sold our car, and we had no job, and we had no idea where we were going to go and what we were going to do the rest of our lives. The only key we owned was a post office box key at the time. So we left, and we ended up going to stay at my folks' cabin up in Washington State and just tried to survive for a while. We needed a season of healing, and... Uh, when the Lord just ministered to us is you need to have a sabbatical. You need to rest and recover from everything that's happened up here. So we did. And while, since we had nothing to do, we decided, well, we, I tuned hundreds of pianos just to kind of 
put a few bucks together. And so we planned to take a sabbatical. We traveled and studied in Jerusalem for a while and Greece and Turkey. And so in the middle, just before we did a lot of that, we were sitting up there in the cabin and Ron called on the phone and he said, uh, by the way, we might have a position here at New Life Foursquare Church. Um, would you be interested? And I thought about five seconds and said, uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, he said, we, we're interested in having, having you uh, start a Bible leadership training institute, which you now know has become Canby Bible College. I said, I would love to do that. So at least we knew where we are going to live and that we had a job. After our travels, we arrived here at, back at New Life in 1998, May 1st. Uh, we had no debt and no money. And so they must have taken pity on us and put us in the house of blessing, which was a blessing. Yeah, we were the first residents to live there. And then Dave gave me a paycheck the first day, and I thought, Dave, I haven't done anything yet. Why are you paying me? He said, I'll just take this. This is part of it. It's payday. And I thought, man, what grace here. That was the first paycheck we'd ever gotten in ministry. So that was a new experience. So we left Alaska not knowing where we were going or what was next. Twice we've just jumped out into outer space and the Lord was there to bear us up and provide a place and to give us something to do, somewhere to invest our lives. Well, we're at the same place. Uh, we have no idea what the next step is going to be for us. Past April 30th, April 30th will be my last day here and our, our time of being here at the church. Um, the Lord has told us once again we need to rest and be refreshed and recover from, you know, 32 years in ministry has taken its toll. And we need to get some perspective once again and, and to get away from this. And so last night, Ron asked me to share what we're going to do in May. Uh, we are going to do a little traveling once again to try and, you know, get our thoughts straightened out. And uh, to give you a little background to that is uh, when we had our 20th wedding anniversary, we, we, we said, you know, it would really be great when we have our 40th that we would do something really special. We could go somewhere that we'd really always wanted to do. And so we saved air miles for the last two decades. <laughs> and uh, we just celebrated our 40th anniversary, January 4th. Yeah. So... Yeah, we made it 40 years together. So, so anyway, what we're going to do is get on an airplane May 4th and fly to Malta. And uh, I, I think we both need to see where Paul went shipwreck and um, had a revival on this little island that's out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And then we're going to spend a week or so in Rome. And uh, the thing I'm looking forward to most of all is taking a long time in the Colosseum. I really feel like I need to sit there and ponder what it meant for so many Christians to die for their faith. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's an important assignment the Lord has for me especially is to <clears throat> try to imagine what that would have been like. Mm -hmm. So we're going we're gonna to spend three, three weeks over there and um, kind of have a second honeymoon, I guess we can call it that. <laughs> Spend some time together and uh, celebrate 40 years. And then going to help my son-in-law and daughter build a little cabin up in Alaska, 16 by 24. They don't know what they're doing, but I'm going to try to help them with that. <laughs> so uh, then we'll come back, sit on the couch, and stare at each other and say, well, what next? And, you know, he's talking about uncomfortable grace. But you know what? We've stepped out and done this a few times now, and God has been so faithful every time. Mm -hmm. To do above and beyond what we could have even imagined mm -hmm. he would do. And so uh, we're not afraid. We're actually excited mm -hmm. about whatever that is, even though we don't have a clue. Mm -hmm. We know it's going to be good. So I just want you all to know that we love you. Mm -hmm. We do see you as family and always will. Mm -hmm. So even if we're not around, we'll be here in spirit. So thanks.
I know how comfortable that makes you feel. Yeah. Al and Kathy uh, have served here, as I said, 16 years, and being a teaching pastor and really launching what was LTI, Leadership Training Institute, and now has developed into Canby Bible College, and we are forever grateful for their fruitful ministry here. And what I'd like to do is extend our hands forward and just uh, pray again God's blessing and covering on their lives. Father, uh, thank you for Al and Kathy and uh, their faithfulness, uh, their willingness to follow you. Uh, Lord, we understand through their story, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's difficult, they've put their lives in your hands. And, And Lord, we thank you for that. What an example. Lord, I pray a blessing would rest upon them, that they would be refreshed, that they would be restored, body, soul, and spirit, that the time that they would spend uh, these next few months would be time where they would just uh, let, be lavished by your presence, just be enveloped by who you are, and they would enjoy each other's company as well. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you again for all that you have done through them and how you've blessed all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say together, Amen and amen, amen. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. I said this earlier, the difficulty is that we have, um, the church has a very unique, unique um, dynamic. And that is that... um, that you have employment, but you have fellowship and family on top of that. No, no, other, no other business in this room has that. And it's, it's difficult at times to separate the two and say, we have to look at this and look at this separately. But to maintain that fellowship and to maintain that connection at family uh, while employment goes away um, is truly a blessing from God that we've been graced that way. And what you need to know is there'll be time in the next month. We'll be letting you know we're going to have a reception uh, in all three services or after all three services for Pastor Alan, Kathy, and Dave and Dorothy. We want you to be part of that. Uh, we want you to come and, and uh, really enjoy what, um, what they have done and who they are. We need to honor that. And so we want to do that. We'll let you know. So we have these two departures uh, um, in our restructuring that's, that's happened, but there's also other things that are going on to help streamline ministry and overall expenses, and I want to just mention a few. One, appropriately so, is my, my income has been reduced uh, significantly, and it's right. It's the right thing to do. We've also had a position that we've held for about five years. It's uh, Pastor Emeritus, and um, that had a salaried position to it and it was it was a wonderful thing that has come coming to a close and that position was held by someone I know pretty well uh, my father and uh, he held that and and served here for 22 years he was a pastor on staff here and so that will be uh, going away as well myself and our church council continue to look for ways to effectively steward the resources that God has given us we do do this together. It is part of who we are. It's part of our team. I said earlier, it was so much easier to build than to say goodbye. So much easier. I thought it took courage to build. It's nothing. The courage comes when it's time to say goodbye. Uh, this has been a difficult season for us. It's extremely uncomfortable. But I do have a peace that I know this is God's will. There is a peace, an abiding peace. Part of God's plan with this reorganization is to further activate our entire church body, that we can live sideways the way God has called us to live sideways. I was uh, stuck because I didn't want to do the uncomfortable thing. And as it is, so often, that's how and why our marriages get stuck, our families get stuck, our finances get stuck. Our other relationships get stuck. Our businesses get stuck. Because it comes down to making that step of faith that is so uncomfortable. But when we make it, there's great blessing that comes our way. And I trust that God is doing that. God is working in our lives through his uncomfortable grace. 
verses 51 and 52 again. Let me read it to you. And then he went up into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. There's a difference between amazement and faith. The disciples' hearts were hardened because their amazement did not lead them to a faith in Jesus Christ. I've been there before. I don't want to be there again. I don't want you to be there. This is a time of great, great faith. God is leading us that way. Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to invite our, our um, worship team to come forward. And let me pray. Father, I just uh, thank you for allowing us to come together today. I, again, pray for those that are here that need to experience peace in their life and healing and comfort. We, we need, we need you and we need each other. Today was a demonstration of that relationship. Uh, the relationship that we have with each other, the relationship that we have with you and when it comes to time, the times to part company, it's just uncomfortable. But that's when you stretch us. You have given us this season of uncomfortable grace so that we would draw, draw close to you. Lord, we want to continue to do that. We want to lean into you. And I just pray for our church family. I pray for Dave and Dorothy and Alan, Kathy. I pray in Jesus' name that we would continue to see, as we know we've been promised, fruitful years ahead. You have been a blessing to us. You will continue to be. Father, bless everyone in this room. Let them understand the joy of salvation, that we are a people, Lord Jesus, who you've given us a future. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.